Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading Short and Deep, Package Deal by Lawrence Block. This is first published in Ed McBain's Mystery Book Number Three uh, from 1961. It was a magazine. Uh, I. I'm happy to tell you, Eric, this is the first uh, time we've ever got to talk about one of my favorite writers. I have many favorites, but I'm high amongst them. Uh, I don't I don't like do rankings of top tens or anything like that. But high amongst my favorite writers is Lawrence Block, who surprisingly is still alive and still writing, which is not normally the case. You know, I, I read a lot of Edgar Allan Poe, love me some H.G. Wells. Uh, I like me Alfred Vester. I like I like a lot of writers, Donald Westlake, you know, and we've covered a lot of these people, uh, but <laughs> most of them are dead um, and no longer writing, <laughs> which sometimes go together. Um, so I'm very <laughs> pleased to tell you that I uh, read this story after finding it recently. It was one of many stories yet and novels that I have not yet read by Donald Westlake, but he. Oh, sorry, <laughs> Lawrence Black. But he wrote a ton of books and is still writing books. His first novel uh, under his own name was 1961, the same year that this story came out. Uh, I just did a brief count, and it's uh, n- by no means wholly limited. Uh, he had 120 short stories in the on the count I did. Um, he has 17 novels in one series, 37 standalone novels, uh, three novels under a pseudonym, uh, another 22 in another series, um, and 16 under uh, three other series that were categorized together for some reason. And so, like, if you go to his website, and he is on Twitter and Facebook or whatever, um, he, he just says, I've, I've wrote more than 100 and countless <laughs> short stories. And he is not like being humble it's it's just really hard to count because sometimes you, these are co-authorships sometimes they're um fix-ups um and some of the <laughs> i've talked to him uh on email and stuff like did you write this one he says i don't think i did because <laughs> there a lot of his early books are under house names um and uh you know, until he actually starts reading it again to see if that's a voice, his voice. Um, he sometimes, I thought, you know, he's got to be lying. He's just embarrassed. About, no, he just wrote so many books so for so long that he doesn't remember all of them until, you know, it's placed in front of him. And he's, oh, yeah, I wrote this with Westlake in a weekend, right? Oh, <laughs> And um, so here we have a very early Lawrence Block. His first story is uh, published stories in 1957. Um, but I think that this has a lot of the things that we would normally think of as being in a Lawrence Block story, or at least some kinds of Lawrence Block stories. So I'd be delighted for you to uh, read it for us. But I want to ask you, is this the first Lawrence Block you've ever read? No. Oh. What what other but stuff I am, of his? But I am not. But I am not an aficionado of him, so I'm happy to uh, to just focus on this today. Sure. I would I would add um, th- 
the the date of his birth is uh, he's born in 1938 mm-hmm. so that means not only has he kept writing a long time i mean he's in his 80s now 83 um, but he wrote this this was published when he was 23 wow so basically he He's been able to be a full-time writer his whole life. He, yeah, he's good at it. He is. This it's it makes me think that some it's instinctual or something like you're born the your genes have the writerly gene. I know that that's not hundred percent true, but it seems like for some people it's just it it's just much easier <laughs> and maybe come a compulsion. Maybe. Maybe. I have some theories about that, but I don't know if we'll have time for it since we want to read the story. Mm-hmm. Package Deal by Lawrence Block. If I were younger, John Harper said, I would do this myself. One of the troubles with growing old. Aging makes physical action awkward. A man becomes a planner and a ranger. Responsibility is delegated. Castle waited. If I were younger, Harper went on, I would kill them myself. I would load a gun and go out after them. I would hunt them down one after another, and I would shoot them dead. Baron and Milani and Hallander and Ross, I would kill them all. The old man's mouth spread in a smile. A strange picture, he said, John Harper with blood in his eye, the president of the bank, the past president of the Rotary and Kiwanis and the Chamber of Commerce, the leading citizen of Arlington, going out and killing people. An incongruous picture. Success guts a man, Castle, removes the spine and intestines, ties the hands. Success is an incredible surgeon. So you hire me. So I hire you, or to be more precise, we hire you. We've had as much as we can take. We've watched a peaceful, pleasant town taken over by a collection of amateur hoodlums. We've witnessed the inadequacy of a small-town police force faced with big-town operations. We've had enough. Harper sipped brandy. He was thinking, looking for the right way to phrase what he had to say. Prostitution. He said suddenly, and gambling and protection, storekeepers paying money for the right to remain storekeepers. We've watched four men take control of a town which used to be ours. Castle nodded. He knew the story already, but he wasn't impatient with the old man. He didn't mind getting both the facts and the background behind them. You needed the full picture to do your job properly. He listened. I wish we could do it ourselves. Vigilante action, that type of thing. There's a precedent for it. Fortunately, there's also an historical precedent for employing you. Are you familiar with it? The town tamer, Castle muttered. The town tamer. An invention of the American West. The the man who cleans up a town for a fee. The man who waves legality when legality must inevitably be abandoned. The man who uses a gun instead of a badge when guns are effective and badges are impotent. For a fee. For a fee, John Harper echoed. For a fee of $10,000 in this instance. $10,000 to rid the world and the town of Arlington of four men, four malignant men, four little cancers, Baron and Milani and Hallander and Ross. Just four. Just four. 
When the rats die, the mice scatter. Kill four, kill Lou Barron and Joe Milani and Albert Hallander and Mike Ross. Then the back of the gang will be broken. The rest will run for their lives. The town will breathe clean air again. And the town needs clean air, Mr. Castle, needs it desperately. You may rest assured of that. You are doing more than earning a generous fee. You are performing a service for humanity. Castle shrugged. I'm serious, Harper said. I know your reputation. You're not a hired killer, sir. You are the 20th century version of the town tamer. I respect you as I could never respect a hired killer. You are performing an important service, sir. I respect you. Castle lit a cigarette. The fee, he said. $10,000, and I'm paying it entirely in advance, Mr. Castle, because, as I have said, your reputation has preceded you. You'll have no trouble with the local police, but there are always state troopers to contend with. You might wish to leave Arlington in a hurry when the job is finished. As I understand it, the customary method of payment is half in advance and the remaining half upon completion of the job at hand. I trust you, Mr. Castle. I am paying the full sum in advance. You come well recommended. Castle took the envelope, slipped it inside an inside jacket pocket. It made a bulge there. Baron and Milani and Hallander and Ross, the old man said, four fish. Shoot them in a barrel, Mr. Castle. Shoot them and kill them. They are diseased, a plague. Castle nodded. That's all? That is all. The interview was over. Castle stood up and let Harper show him to the door. He walked quickly to his car and drove off into the night. Baron and Milani and Hallander and Ross. Castle had never met them, but he knew them all. Small fish, little boys setting up a little town for a little fortune. They were not big men. They didn't have the guts or the brains to play in Chicago or New York or Vegas. They knew their strengths and their limitations, and they cut a nice pie for themselves. Arlington, Ohio, population 47,000, three small manufacturing concerns, two of them owned by John Harper, one bank owned by John Harper, stores and shops, doctors and lawyers, shopkeepers, workers, professional men, housewives, clerks, and for the first time, criminals. Lou Barron and Joe Milani and Albert Hallander and Mike Ross. And as a direct result of their presence, a bucket full of hustlers on Lake Street, a handful of horse drops on Main and Limestone, a batch of numbers runners, and a boatload of muscle to make sure everything moved according to plan. Money being drained from Arlington, people being exploited in Arlington, Arlington turning slowly but surely into the private property of four men, Baron and Milani and Hallander and Ross. Castle drove to his hotel, went to his room, put $10,000 in the suitcase. He took out a gun, a 45 automatic, which could not be traced farther than a St. Louis pawn shop, and slipped the loaded gun into the pocket, which had held the $10,000. The gun made the jacket sag a bit too much, and he took out the gun, took off the jacket, and strapped on a shoulder holster. The gun fit better this way. With the jacket on, the gun bulged only slightly. Baron and Milani and Hallander and Ross. Four small fish in a pond too big for them. $10,000. He was ready. Evening. 
It's a warm night in Arlington. A full moon, no stars, temperature around 70, humidity high. Castle walked down Center Street, his car at the hotel, his gun in its holster. He was working. There were four to be taken, and he was taking them in order. Lou Barron was first. Lou Barron, short and fat and soft. A beetle from Kansas City, a soft man who had no place in Kerrigan's KC mob. A big wheel in Arlington, a man employing women, a pimp on a large scale. Filth. Castle waited for Barron. He walked to Lake Street and found a doorway where the shadows eclipsed the moon and waited. Barron came out of 137 Lake Street a few minutes after nine, fat and soft, wearing expensive clothes, laughing because they took good care of Barron at 137 Lake Street. They had no choice. Barron walked alone. Castle waited, waited until the small fat man had passed him on the way to a long black car. Then the gun came out of the holster. Barron! The little man turned around. Castle's finger tightened on the trigger. There was a loud noise. The bullet went into Barron's mouth and came out the back of his head. The bullet had a soft nose, and there was a bigger hole on the way out than on the way in. Castle holstered the gun, walked away in shadows. One down, three to go. Milani was easy. Milani lived in a frame house with his wife. That amused Castle. The notion that Milani was a property owner in Arlington. It was funny. Milani ran numbers in St. Louis, crossed somebody, pulled out. He was too small to chase. The local people let him alone. Now people ran numbers for him in Arlington, a change of pace. And Milani's wife, a St. Louis tramp with big breasts and no brains, helped Milani spend the money that stupid people bet on three-digit numbers. Milani was easy. He was home and the door was locked. Castle rang the bell and Milani, safe and secure and self-important, did not bother with peepholes. He opened the door and caught a forty-five caliber over the heart. Two down and two to go. Hallander was a gunman. Castle didn't know much about him, just a few rumbles that made their way over the coast-to-coast grapevine. Little things. A gun, a torpedo, a zombie, a bodyguard out of Chai who goofed too many times, a killer who loved to kill, a little man with dead eyes who was nude without a gun, a psychopath. So many killers were psychopaths. Castle hated them with the hatred of the businessman for the competitive hobbyist. Killing Baron and Milani had been on the order of squashing cockroaches under the heel of a heavy shoe. Killing Hallander was a pleasure. Hallander did not live in a house like Milani or go to women like Baron. Hallander had no use for women, only for a gun. He lived alone in a small apartment on the outskirts of town. His car, four years old, was parked in his garage. He could have afforded a better car. But to Hallander, money was not to be spent. It was chips in a poker game. He held on to his chips. He was well protected. A doorman screened visitors. An elevator operator knew whom he took upstairs. But Hallander made no friends. Five dollars quieted the doorman forever. Five dollars sealed the lips of the elevator operator. Castle knocked on Hallander's door. A peephole opened. A peephole closed. Hallander drew a gun and fired through the door and missed. Castle shot the lock off, kicked the door open. Hallander missed again and died with a bullet in the throat. The elevator operator took Castle back to the first floor. The doorman passed him through to the street. He got into his car, turned the key in the ignition, drove back to the center of Arlington. 
three down, just one more. We can deal, Mike Ross said. You got your money. You hit three out of four. You can leave me be. Castle said nothing. They were alone, he and Ross, the brains of the Arlington Enterprise, sat in an easy chair with a slow smile on his face. He knew about Barron and Milani and Hallander. You did a job already, Ross said. You got paid already. You want money? 15000 cash. Then you disappear. Castle shook his head. Why not? Hotshot Harper won't sue you. You'll have his ten grand and fifteen of mine, and you'll disappear. Period. No trouble, no sweat. No nothing. Nobody after you looking to even things up. Tell you the truth, I'm glad to see the three of them out of the way. More for me, and no morons getting in the way. I'm glad you took them, just so you don't take me. I've got a job to do. Twenty grand. Thirty. What's a man's life worth? Name your price, Castle. Name it. No price. My cross left. Everybody has a price. Everybody. You aren't that special. I can buy you, Castle. Ross bought death. He bought one bullet, and death came at once. He fell on his face and died. Castle wiped off the gun, flipped it onto the floor. He had taken chances using the same gun four times, but the four times had taken less than one night. Morning had not come yet. The Arlington police force still slept. He dropped the gun on the floor and got out of there. A phone rang in Chicago. A man lifted it, held it to his ear. Castle, a voice said, job done? All done. How many hits? Four of them, Castle said. Four off the top. Give me the picture. The machinery is there with nobody to run it, Castle said. The town is lonely. The man chuckled. You're good, he said. You're very good. We'll be down tomorrow. Come on in, Castle said. The water's fine. Really nice reading. Thank you very much for that. Um, Thank you, Jesse. Uh, somehow I've read a lot of Lawrence Block stories, and I never see it coming. <laughs> I never <laughs> see the... Uh, I know something's going to happen, but I can never see it coming. Um, I, I think that's one of the reasons I, I really like reading his stories. The other is, um, and, and, you know... I'm highlighting as you're reading. I'm like, oh yeah, he's just so so many sentences are evening. That's the whole sentence, um, filth, whole sentence. And then we get a nice, uh, you know, a warm night in Arlington, a full moon, no stars, temperature around seventy, humidity high. Castle walked down the center, uh, down Center Street. His car at the hotel, his gun in its holster. There's like an elegant simplicity to the writing. And then you're right. So much repetition. Yeah. The, uh, I, I want to say, as my first comment on this, I, I, I really do like the story. I think it's very well written in many ways. And I think that it, it um, rewards deeper thinking mm -hmm. um, about capitalism, about honor, uh, about crime, mm -hmm. um, about legality. About the fact that that the enforcement of law requires violence in its own right, and the question then becomes one of trust. Um, however, um, I, I, to, I I sort of want to get this out of the way. As beautifully as the story, beautifully as constructed as the story is, there are a couple of things that sort of bother me. What are those? Uh, well, one is since Castle is 
trying to commit one murder after another quite rapidly. And we're told it all happened in less than an evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, the hits is way out of town. And um, how is it that Ross already knows about the other three hits? And given the, the speed with which Castle has dispatched his other three victims, how come he's even in conversation with Ross at all? Right. Uh, you know, so th- that's a little, I mean, we need it for, you know, in order to, to build us up to what we're supposed to take as a reversal ending. But it doesn't seem quite right. Another thing that a little bit bothers me is that uh, Arlington, Ohio is a real place. And uh, in 1960, its population was about 955. I did a little homework mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. Jesse. Not 47,000. So um, that sort of bothers me. It wouldn't have been that hard to check. I, in 1960, I had the, the World Almanac and Book of Facts. So I checked those things all the time. Yeah. And finally, if, if John Harper, who... Uh, is a problematic figure, right? I mean, he's been the boss of the town all along, and he actually seems to want to kill people who get in his way. Um, if John Harper um, knew so much about Castle's reputation, I want to know, how did he know it? If Castle's reputation is that easy to be known, how is it that he is not already captured by the state police or whatever higher authority there is. And that, however, that's the one problem with the story that I think may be not a feature, a bug, but a feature, mm-hmm. because it may be suggesting that whoever's at the other end of that line back in Chicago is part of a structure that goes so high in American capitalist society that Castle is protected. He just has to keep from getting caught by the local cops yeah. because they're the only ones stupid enough to try to prosecute him. Yeah, and they're and they're bought and paid for by the the uh, town fathers. Exactly. Um, uh, uh, well, uh, Block was born in New York um, and lived most of his life in New York. Still does, um, but he did go to school in Ohio. Uh, I believe Antioch College, which is a small town. Um, I was thinking I, I didn't know that Arlington was a real town in Ohio. I, I, I didn't. I didn't even think to look it up. But I was thinking Ar- the Arlington I know is uh, a cemetery, <laughs> and I thought that might be uh, why it's called that. Um, the character names in here, you know, Castle. Um, that's a that's a name. It's one to pick. Harper. And then the one that gets repe- the ones that get repeated over and over, Baron and Milani and Hallander and Ross. Um, no, a Baron is a Baron. Uh, Milan is a rich city. Uh, uh, Hollander, I don't know about that, but Ross also is a. Um, it's a titled gentleman from uh, the UK, right? So there's a there is a kind of pattern to the the naming, um, but. I was so much more focused on that, like, a phone rang in Chicago. And we had been hearing about Chicago earlier in the story, but we didn't think, or I didn't think of it, anything about it. He's from Chai, right? Um, right. And then we get a, a phone rang in Chicago. A man lifted it and held it to his ear. Castle, voice said. So I'm like, who's talking? Oh, that's Castle saying, I'm Castle, right? So he's making us do a little work. Job done, all done. And then 
that repeated pattern where somebody says, the town tamer, Castle muttered, the town tamer, an invent, right? Like that repeat, the call and response. Um, it's, it, it fits so interestingly with the story, the call and response where we got a problem in the town. We'll solve the problem in the town. That problem, crea- that solution creates new problems. And it's like a call and response. It's like back and forth. And you, you can imagine uh, that this story could continue. This is going to be the first chapter of a novel where they come to <laughs> town and new problems. Uh, now they have to take out Harper, right? And and it is, it is, it's kind of like a, when I read Lawrence Block's crime and you know, he's usually classified in the mystery section, but he mostly writes crime crime stories um, or stories involving crime. One of the things I think about is it is uh, it invites you to think about social responsibilities and the uh, illusion thereof that we have to. So this guy says, our um, John Harper figure says, "I'm cleaning up our town. It's it's rotten." <laughs> With no self-reflection, right. right? That he's the guy who owns the town, and he has some competition, right? I I, I like the idea of thinking of Arlington Cemetery. To tell you the the truth, um, although Arlington Cemetery is is well known, obviously across international borders, mm-hmm. my friend, um, that's not what came to my mind. I, I agree with you. The names are. Uh, it, provocative. Um, but maybe because I've been to Arlington many times and because I uh, did some work in Arlington and because I um, have people in my life who lived in Arlington, um, I think of Arlington as the town. Mm-hmm. I, and you see, the, the, the town of Arlington, if you've ever seen video clips of the president going to lay a wreath at the tomb, right. of, tomb of the unknown, Arlington is just on the other side of a bridge from the capital. And so, again, this brought me back to thinking, in, in what sense is this asking us to understand the, uh, that, that, you know, Marx says property is theft. Um, to, to what extent is capitalism dependent upon um, violence, dependent upon arbitrary control? This town, Arlington, is just across from capital, mm-hmm. but intimately connected to it. It turns out to be the, the, the death place for these four fellows, as you point out, Arlington National Cemetery. But in fact, it's an ongoing concern. Mm-hmm. Um, somehow or other, um, Ross can not only make up the 10,000 to 15, he says 20, 30, name your price. Right. Um, to give you an idea of what he's talking about, this little petty criminal, presumably petty criminal, he's talking about an amount of money that is, in today's dollars, nearly five times as much as sure. what the number is on the page. Uh, $10,000 in 1960 translates to about 92000 today. Mm-hmm. So when he offers $30,000, he's offering them $150,000 and saying, and go on up from that. Right? You're pulling a lot of money out of this little mm-hmm. town. Capitalism pays. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and to be in control. Uh, so the, uh, I, I haven't thought about it before, but um, or 
I guess this this century, but I had heard the term town tamer uh, before, and it I believe uh, Block uh, maybe Block hasn't. Westlake wrote a they were friends and they co-wrote a lot of books, so sometimes they get confused. But um, Westlake wrote a town tamer story um, where some thugs from outside come in to fix things up. And this is famous. Uh, Dashiell Hammett, I believe, wrote Red Harvest, which is uh, a town tamer. Um, and it's it's outside thugs, whether um, uh, employed in the service uh, of of a crime syndicate or in the in uh, by a corporation. It's it's muscle that you pay for that gets results. And and the walking down the center street here with the, our guy carrying a gun under his arm and his car back at the garage, at the hotel, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a western, right? Oh, absolutely. It's there, a modern fact, western. There's a, 19, there's a 1965 uh, movie uh, with Dana Andrews starring in it called Town Tamer, and it's a western. It makes sense, right? The, the idea of... Uh, and this is a sort of an arch- arch- uh, archetypal figure, but um, it's also a lie, right? <laughs> this is the when we think of the Pinkertons cleaning up the town. Yeah, they're they're breaking unions, right? <laughs> they're not um, helping out mom and pop, uh, extracting value from the mom and pop uh, barber shop or the bakery or whatever. That's my job. I'm the banker. <laughs> Not these little snots who run prostitution and uh, numbers. Not them. Me. That's my job. And yet, this guy at the beginning explains, you know, uh, success guts a man, Castle. Removes the spine and intestine. Ties his hands. Success is an incredible surgeon. Uh, That's a great line. Oh, my God. Right? Because it it sort of speaks to what's going to happen next. Right. Eventually, Castle's going to have these problems. We all have these problems. It makes you ask, uh, what does it mean to tame? I mean, um, as as Freud says in Civilization and Its Discontents, um, happiness is no consequence of civilization. Right. In fact, guilt is the consequence of civilization. Mm. We learn to feel bad about the things that we would want to do. We can't just do things gluttonously, take what we like, um, impose ourselves on others. Civilization prevents that. Tame is opposed to wild. Mm -hmm. But to tame, I mean, if you tame a horse, you, quote, break it. Mm -hmm. If a town tamer tames a town, he breaks it. Mm -hmm. So how is that different from the law. How is that different from the banker who controls everything with his money and his police and his courts? This is a, a story in which we see how people can justify their own actions. Mm-hmm. Harper believes he has the right to kill, but he is willing not to do it and hires someone else to do it. It's a capitalist transaction for him. Castle disdains psychopaths. Yep. He's a a businessman. Go uh, ahead. Let me read this section where he he confronts the guy who's his his mirror. 
a gun, a torpedo, a zombie, a bodyguard out of chai, who had goofed too many times, a killer who loved to kill a little man with dead eyes, who was nude without a gun, a psychopath. <laughs> Not like me. <laughs> so many killers exactly. were psychopaths. Castle hated them with the hatred of the businessman for the competitive hobbyist. Wow. Killing Baron and Milani had been on the order of squashing cockroaches under his under the heel of the heavy shoe. Killing Hallander was a pleasure. Uh, and so we actually see the 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 two first guys. They're not him. And, this, and then we get this guy who is him. And then we get the final guy who's negotiating all about prices. That's the first guy too. That's that's Harper, the bank owner. Yep. Indeed, that's what's one of the brilliances of the title. It's package deal. Mm -hmm. The package deal apparently is you got to kill all four of them. That's right. The real package deal we get on first uh, reading of the coda um, is that the you not only do you get them killed, you get somebody who's even more well organized moving in to take their place. But the larger package deal is this is what capitalist society looks like. Think about it. And when you figure it out a little more, when you get a little further, deeper, thanks to artistry like this, you'll find there is always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember... You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.